Support for this episode of NRAY was provided by the Nanny Tax Company. If you employ a nanny, babysitter, caregiver, or housekeeper in your home, you may be required to pay employment taxes. The Nanny Tax Company has expertise in handling the delicate tax requirements for household employers. The service is simple, accurate, and cost-effective so you can save time while staying compliant with the law. For more information, visit www.nannytaxprep.com or call 1-800-747-9820. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the individuals and do not represent IICLE. Welcome to NRAY, the podcast about all things law, big and small. I'm your host, Christopher Noel. Seven Fifty Seven Boulevard has been the subject of my family for decades now, and as it approaches its one hundred tenth birthday, I have been put in charge of watching and waiting for its second coming. My grandfather watched the house in the nineteen twenties, and. My father watched it in the 1960s. It is now my time. Do you know the history of the house? Do you know what lies within the walls of 657 Boulevard? Why are you here? I will find out. This was part of a letter sent to Derek and Maria Broadus. It was 2014, and they had just started moving their belongings into 657 Boulevard. It's in Westfield, New Jersey. So between June and August, they were moving in. And they started receiving letters. These threatening letters were from someone calling themselves The Watcher, part of some long family line of individuals who watched 657 Boulevard. They purchased the house for $1.4 million and then had an additional $100,000 in renovations. So the Broadus family received three letters that threatened them, that identified parts of the house that really threatened their children as well. For instance, here's another excerpt. Will they sleep in the attic? Or will you all sleep on the second floor? Who has the bedrooms facing the street? I know as soon as you move in, it will help me to know who is in which bedroom. Then I can plan better. All of the windows and doors in 657 Boulevard allow me to watch you and track you as you move through the house. Who am I? I am the Watcher, captain in control of 657 Boulevard for the better part of two decades now. The Woods family turned it over to you. It was their time to move on and kindly sold it when I asked them to. I pass by many times a day. 657 Boulevard is my job, my life, my obsession. And now you are too, Broadus family. Welcome to the product of your greed. Greed is what brought the past three families to 657 Boulevard and now it has brought you to me. Have a happy moving in day. You know I will be the Broadduses tried to sue the previous owners, uh, John and Andrea Woods. They sued them for 
fraudulent concealment, intentional and negligent infliction of emotional distress, among other things. So essentially what they said was, hey, <laughs> you guys knew that some creepy guy calling himself the Watcher was watching your house, that you were getting items sent to you, letters sent to you, things like that, these threatening things. You knew that this house was under attack by some unknown individual calling themselves the Watcher. The Woodses lived there for about 23 years, and they claimed that at no time had they received a letter until they were about to move out. And even then they found the letter, tossed it away, didn't think anything of it. A neighbor also received a letter from the Watcher around the same time as the Broadus family did. Fast forward five years later, to this day, no one knows the identity of the Watcher. And the Broadduses finally sold their home in July of this year for $965,998. Currently, someone resides at 657 Boulevard in Westfield, New Jersey. And I wonder, is the watcher watching? In this episode, I talk with Chris Freiberg. He's a lawyer who previously focused on real estate and writer. He talks more about the Watcher case, hauntings, stigmatized properties, and whether you should sell your haunted home. My name is uh, Chris Freiberg. Uh, I'm a lawyer with a previous uh, focus on real estate uh, and also a freelance writer. Great. Thank you so much for joining me today, Chris. Good to be here. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think one of the big things in the previous segment, I went through some of the details of the Watcher case, and we'll dig into that here in a moment. But let's talk about real estate in general. Um, what are things you need to disclose about a house and when do you need to disclose it? Well, uh, most of the things that need to be d disclosed uh, in a real estate transaction are, are pretty common sense. Um, there's actually a, a law in uh, Illinois um, about disclosures uh, that make it clear the things uh, that uh, you need to disclose. Um, there's 23 of them. Um, those include any defects in, in the roof, the walls, the basement. Uh, if there's a history of flooding, uh, if there's if there's a if there are termites, um, if you're selling a property you want to uh, disclose that immediately uh, when sellers are interested. Um, at the very very least, if you become aware of that later uh, before the closing, uh, otherwise you're, you're looking at uh, pretty serious legal issues uh, down the line then. Great. And so when we come to the term stigmatized properties, what are those? Well, a, a stigmatized property can be many things. Um, Illinois is actually a state that doesn't uh, re recognize uh, stigmatized properties. Mm. Um, stigmatized properties in, in other jurisdictions are what's also known as psychologically affected properties. Uh, for instance, if, if there was a murder there, um, that's not something that's physically uh, going to uh, take down the value of the property, but people don't want to live in a house where murders have taken place in a lot of cases. So it's something that gets disclosed uh, to, to the uh, prospective 
buyers so they can know that and back out. Uh, it might lower the, the cost uh, of, of the property. Um, but there, when that comes up in Illinois, uh, courts have said, well, we don't recognize that. Uh, that that's really not your, your prob- our problem if you uh, don't want to live in a murder house. <laughs> yeah. So did you ever have to deal with stigmatized properties whenever you were in real estate law? No, uh, I, I dealt with pretty basic things, um, just the disclosures of about like roofs and uh, roof leaking and things like that. Um, nothing like murder houses or ghosts. That, that's pretty uh, uncommon stuff. I know it has happened. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine uh, the other day who said he knew a lawyer who, who dealt with it, uh, that uh, the buyer thought the house was haunted, uh, tried to get damages from the seller, and the court apparently said, no, too too bad. <laughs> Yikes. That sucks. <laughs> um, so whenever it comes to the Watcher case, in case somebody, sometimes people like to fast forward to the actual interview. So in the previous segment, um, I spoke about the Watcher. So the Watcher case happened uh, over the past five years or so. The Broadduses moved into 657 Boulevard, this beautiful house. They purchased it for about $1.4 million, but they only moved their belongings in. They never actually moved in physically because they had threatening letters from the Watcher, uh, someone who would tell them kind of very subtle hints about, tell them very subtle hints about what rooms they're living in or that they can see them from the street or they look forward to this or they called their children the young bloods things like that so how does the watcher case fit into the stigmatized properties concept does it qualify you know the the watcher case is interesting because i think it's so far removed really from any anything that anyone really considered with, with uh, these stigmatized property laws um, when when they were written. Um, now, from from what I've read about it, I believe the seller got one uh, note uh, before they moved. Um, now they they knew they had some indication of something at that point, but you know that's not a pattern. That could be just some weird random thing that you got in the mail. I mean, I I think I would probably disregard something like that. Maybe call the police, but you know, not think too much of it. And I think that's how most people um, would react. Um, the issue would be more if there was a pattern of harassment that you, that you might have uh, a, a stigmatized uh, property issue or a disclosure issue. Um, now, now, in Illinois, there, there isn't a stigmatized property law, but you do have to uh, report any violations of, of laws relating to the property. So if this had been going on for some time here, you, you'd probably have a harassment issue uh, that you would want to disclose and say, that, and say that this is related um, to what's going on here. Um, and if it, if it happened repeatedly before you moved out, I think there could be an argument um, that there's a stigmatized property here, um, but it's not real clear cut. And I, I believe that actually the, the court in, in New Jersey uh, sided with the seller in that case. Yeah, absolutely. So if you were taking the case, Broadus is, you know, you were representing them. I mean, would you just say, guys, we don't have a case? Well, I, you know, I hate to say that, um, especially when there's a novel uh, issue here. Um, I think this would be 
something novel enough that you could argue it would fit into the stigmatized uh, property uh, uh, laws if, if there there's a law in that um, jurisdiction. Um, and again, e- even in Illinois, when you want to disclose any violations related to laws, if the seller had some knowledge, um, yeah, I think it might be worth pursuing, but obviously you would want to, to caution them, you know, this is hardly a, a surefire thing. Um, and that that's actually an issue with any of these disclosure things is, you know, if you're going after the the seller saying, you know, there, there's flooding here in the basement, you have to show that they knew, knew about that and, and intentionally didn't disclose that. And I mean, in a lot of cases, that's easier said than done. Um, you know, I, I actually just moved into a place last year and I've had a couple issues with the, the dishwasher and uh, uh, the, the garbage disposal. And, you know, I have a feeling that the, the sellers probably knew about those things before I moved in, but it's really not going to be worth it to, you know, prove that and get any sort of damages. Afterwards, of course, they, they finally sold their house just in July for under $1 million. Um, and so <laughs> it wasn't incredibly profitable, but it seems like they're done and no reports from uh, the newest tenant so far. So as opposed to physical threats like letters, can reportedly haunted houses be considered stigmatized properties? Well, yes. And uh, that's actually um, a, a famous uh, uh, case, uh, Stambovsky uh, v. Ackley, uh, that really kind of put that uh, in, in the common law, um, that a possible haunting can be a, a stigmatized uh, uh, property. Um, that was a case in New York uh, dating back to the late 80s and early 90s, uh, where the owners um, had previously gone on record. They had gone to Reader's Digest and told several stories of hauntings and poltergeists they they talked about apparitions and all the you know classic stuff like doors slamming and and footsteps and then they went and they sold the house and they they didn't uh disclose that uh to the seller who wasn't familiar with those things even though they they were out there in the in the public record uh and eventually when that wound up uh to the uh supreme court in new york they said well you know as a matter of law you've held this house out as haunted uh uh, you have to disclose that, and indeed, this this contract can be rescinded if the the buyer doesn't want a haunted house. Okay. Hmm. And I actually looked up the case, and I found a really interesting piece here. Um, it, it's the very first piece. So it says, "Plaintiff, to his horror, discovered that the house he had recently contracted to purchase was widely reputed to be possessed by poltergeists, reportedly seen by defendant seller and members of the, her family." on numerous occasions over the last nine years. Plaintiff promptly commenced this action seeking rescission of the contract of sale. Supreme Court reluctantly dismissed the complaint, holding that plaintiff has no remedy at law in this jurisdiction. That was filed with the appellate court. And it was, I think that's very interesting where it seems like for the first time, is it really about paranormal activity and whether or not that relates to real estate, or is it really about grounds for not being in a place, if that makes sense? Is it really about the paranormal when it comes to this? Well, well no. I mean, with, with any of these stigmatized property, it's, it's the psychological impact. Um, you know, the courts can't say that ghosts exist, that, that there's absolutely a haunting going on there. It's, it's the perception of it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it, a lot of people, if a house is held up as haunted, they don't want to live there. Um, you know, I, I personally, if I had had an inkling that a house had a lot of spirits there, I would be very cautious. I probably wouldn't, wouldn't want to buy that house. So if, if you as a seller have repeatedly told the public this is a haunted house, that's psychologically stigmatized at that point. And, and that's why the courts have held you have to disclose it regardless of whether or not there, there are actual paranormal activities there or it's something that you're just taking to the, the media to, for fame and profit. I, I almost wonder about the other side, too, as we talk about this. So I look at the Watcher case, $1.4 million house. They spent $100,000 worth of renovations. And it almost makes you wonder, were they in over their head? Um, is this something that I think it's about the legitimacy of the claims, maybe in my mind. So I wonder, is it maybe this is a slippery slope argument or thought, but is it one of those things that if I have, if I need a way out, can I claim some sort of psychological issue and possibly get uh, my money back? You know, and that could be a, a possibility. Um, I, I don't think they ever figured out who was sending uh, these letters. Um, you know, cer certainly uh, you could always claim that you saw spirits that the owner uh, should have known about if you buy something and you're in over your head. Um, again, if, if that hasn't previ previously uh, been held out uh, I, to the public, I don't think any courts are, are going to go along with it. Mm -hmm. um, it it's, it's something I guess you, you can do. Um, I think it's a bad idea. I think like <laughs> in this case, you're, you're probably just gonna, gonna lose money. Yeah. So if you think your house is haunted, if somebody's listening is like, I think I might have a haunted house and I really want to sell it. Should they disclose it or do they have to? Well, in, in, are you talking about, uh, to the public or to the possible seller? To the possible seller or to the possible well, buyer, in, I should say. In, in Illinois, no. Um, you wouldn't have to, to disclose that. That that doesn't fit into any of uh, the, the disclosures here. Um, in other jurisdictions, uh, even then, I think it would usually come down to how many people have, have you told this? Um, you know, have you have you had articles printed in the local newspaper, any national outlets um, that it's haunted um, at that point? Uh, yeah, I think you, you really need to, to disclose that because it's a psychologically stigmatized property. Um, but uh, on the other hand, if you maybe think your place is haunted, you've, you've heard those footsteps, those doors slamming, and you haven't told uh, anyone about that, um, that's something that I don't think any laws would really require that you, you would have to disclose at, at that point. And you know, if, if the, when the other, uh, when the buyer moves in, maybe they, they find those things out. And a lot of the times people move into those properties and say, well, I, I never saw or heard anything. Can hauntings be profitable? Yeah. And you know, that's kind of, um, the interesting, uh, thing here with that Stambovsky case, once that hit the media, the, the buyers came out of the, the woodwork there, there were almost 50 of them. Um, and you even had, uh, 
some famous buyers, the the amazing uh, Kreskin, the the mentalist and the magician. He wanted uh, to to buy the house at that point. So there, so there are these people who then all of a sudden say, you know, I I want a haunted haunted house. I want to investigate um, this thing. Um, and and I, I don't know. Are you familiar with uh, the the Demon House and Zach Baggins that came out a few years ago? No. What's that about? Okay, that that was kind of um interesting. Um. If you know uh, anything about Gary, Indiana, it's a very depressed city, um, very low property values in, in northwest Indiana. Um, and a few years ago, there's this case of this family. They said that their their children were possessed. They were terrorized by demons. Um, there, there were some odd eyewitness reports. Social workers, police officers said they saw some very unusual things. There was the one... Uh, eyewitness account of seeing one of these kids walk up a, a wall and uh, mm-hmm. Zach Baggins the the ghost hunter with this TV show got uh, word of this story and he decided he was going to buy this house it only cost him $35,000 because the property values are very low in Gary Indiana uh, but it, it, I don't think that house would have sold at all um, if not for for that story, uh, certainly not as quickly, um, not not at that value. And uh, he actually made a, a documentary about it. It's called Demon House. It's you know has its moments. If you want to track it down, it's it's readily available. Excellent. And I, it almost makes me wonder: is it just hauntings, or I mean, I think in America right now and over the past few years, I feel like we are obsessed with serial killers and, um, you know, just look at the podcasts or like murder mysteries, things like that. What about murder houses? Do you think those can be profitable as well? And, you know, there, there is a certain segment of the population who's interested, um, in, in those as, as well. Um, the well, the well-known ones, um, that's, you know, there's always been that fascination with the, the house and, uh, in LA where uh, Sharon Tate was killed. And you've had a lot of people who wanted to, to rent that house over, over, uh, over the years for various reasons. Um, if, uh, are you familiar with, uh, Nine Inch Nails at all? Trent Reznor? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, electronic, uh, industrial musician. Um, he'd actually gone out of his way to, uh, rent that house in the nineties when he was recording the, the downward spiral. And I think it's a great album. Uh, a lot of people say it's one of the best albums of, of the nineties. Um, so, so yeah, so it's really best to be open about these things because, you know, you might think, you know, I don't want to live in this house where there's been these murders or these hauntings, but there's people out there who they're attracted to those things and they will, happily rent or, or buy that property so as a if, if someone listening is in real estate and they come across something like this should they just dismiss it or how should they react when someone comes to them and says hey i have an issue because i bought a haunted house well you know legally in in illinois um, I don't think there's much you can really do about it. If, if you've bought a house, you think it's haunted, you don't think the, the seller disclosed that. Um, you know, if somebody came, came to me at this point, I'd go, yeah, I'd want to hear the story because I, I think it would be interesting. Um, but I'd say, well, you know, really, under the laws, I don't think there's there's anything here we can we can talk about. You know, are there, are there termites? Are there mold? Uh, you know, is there flooding? Those those are things that, that we can we can file a lawsuit about ghosts not not so much um but 
if you want to sell the house, you know, if you if you want to take that to your your local papers, you know, there's always websites and TV shows that uh, uh, cover cover these things. You might want to promote it and, you know, happily disclose that then when you're looking to sell and you might actually make a profit off of that. All right, Chris. Well, uh, thank you so much. And I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Enray. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating and comment on whatever platform you're listening on, as it really helps us out. If you would like to find out more about IICLE, its programs, or publications, please visit IICLE.com.